Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management. Know the difference? It's Team Tech Trust. Welcome. It's Money Talk, on Annex WTMJ. Wealth Management, Saturday, April 27th. Dave Spano on the road, but Mark Oswald is here and Derek Felsky. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Either one of you go to Billy Joel last night? I, I stayed away. Stayed I away. I didn't. As, I didn't either. I'm just looking for my snow shovels and rooting for the bucks. That's what I'm doing. But yesterday's big news, and it happened early, was that big GDP number. Yeah, it was. I mean, gross domestic product. It really tells you some strength of the economy, Derek, and and what's happening there. We had a number that we were expecting around two and a half percent. That number came in at three point two percent, so growing faster than people anticipated. And I think it's an interesting number just because of what makes up that number, but. Is that what drove the markets this week, or is that what people are going to look for? I mean, there's a lot of questions that come out of this, because are we growing too fast now? Does that affect the Fed? There's a lot of different questions that come out of it. What did you think of the GDP number? Well, it's the strongest we've seen in, in four years. And as you recall, Mark, at the beginning of the quarter, beginning of the first quarter, people were really concerned about a global slowdown and earnings recession and the like. And and what we found is, you know, with a, with a significant inventory build in Q1, uh, that the GDP number is certainly well above what analysts expected and really has supported much of the rise we've seen in equities this, this quarter and into April. I think that's an important part of it is what makes up GDP, right? I mean, is it exports is it inventory and there was a lot of conversation yesterday about the fact that we're building up inventory that's one way to produce things is to build them widgets whatever they are and then put them in a warehouse someplace that's not consumption that's a little bit different so are we worried about the fact that maybe we're going to see a slowdown in the second half because we're producing too much stuff now putting it into inventory building up a big GDP number, but then we won't have a need for that stuff until later in the year. That's typically the case because, you know, if, you know, most of these numbers are endpoint sensitive. So just because the quarter ends on March 30th doesn't mean demand stops and, and people reassess on April 1. Uh, we've seen the same thing in semiconductors. I mean, one of the leadership sectors uh, really throughout the year has been the semiconductors. And we saw from on Intel's report on Friday that they've built significant inventories. And so many people are really hinging their hopes on a second half or Recovery, not just in demand, but also in pricing, not just in semiconductors, but in other areas. So a lot really is going to depend, Mark, on consumer confidence, business confidence, the likelihood of a trade deal and things of that nature to get the economy to continue to grow at what is really a very strong rate. I think we should really get into some individual companies and some earnings after the break. But right now, I think just focusing on what do investors do now? I mean, we've had a pretty big run up since Christmas Eve. We had a really, really bad fourth quarter. First quarter has been fantastic. And even into April now, 17% on the S&P and other markets have done fairly well as well. Is it time to rebalance? Is it time for people to come in with their portfolios again and say, hey, we've had this run up. Now should we be looking at risk profile versus 
the asset allocation that I currently have in my investments, that would be a good thing to do right now. Yeah, I mean, there's been a real dichotomy in terms of earnings report. For example, on Thursday, both 3M and UPS, you know, companies that are very economically sensitive, give you tend to give you a really good tell on the economy. They both miss numbers. So despite a very strong first quarter GDP number, 3M and UPS disappointed, and both stocks traded off about 8%. On the flip side, companies that are managing to grow through this, you know, are able to sustain revenue growth, expand margins, uh, in- increase their footprints. Companies like uh, Amazon and Glam Research, Visa and Microsoft, they all reported fabulous numbers. In fact, at one point on Thursday, Mark, Microsoft reached a $1 trillion market cap, something that Amazon and Apple both did last year, but currently are hovering slightly below. So when you think about all of those numbers that are coming in, we still have the lion's share of earnings to hear from yet in terms of the number of companies that still have to report. I think getting into the numbers a little bit after the break and talking about the beats both on the revenue side and on the earnings side is an important part of the conversation because it goes to the valuation of the markets. When you start thinking about the S&P 500 right now at 2930 and banging on the door of 3000, record highs, and then something you mentioned to me this week, which is the S&P 500 relative to the rest of the world. We are an economy that's doing very well. We're a stock market that's doing very well. We can talk about earnings after the break, certainly some company-specific stuff and things that we want to focus on for our listeners. Uh, still to come on the show, we're going to talk about passion assets. What are those? Uh, you know, cars and art and, and special things within your family. How do you distribute those? That's on the way. Also, we're going to talk about year-round tax planning. I know the scar is, is, is you know like healing from doing your taxes, but you need to do it year-round. We do it for our clients. We can do it for you as well. You can start today at AnnexWealth.com. Just click that Get Started button. Money tips that don't cost a thing. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. And we're back. Know the difference. It's Team Tech Trust, Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Saturday the 27th. Um, let's talk earnings. And can you explain beat rate real quick? Because I've heard that phrase a lot. Yeah, for sure. You know, when you start thinking about companies reporting their earnings, and all publicly traded companies do that every 90 days, you're reporting back to your shareholders and you're saying, this is what we did during that quarter. And so when you start thinking about the analyst estimates, so they're forward-looking. So someone says, we think that XYZ company is going to have earnings of a dollar per share. Then we look to see how many of the companies within the S&P 500 beat that estimate. On the top line, which is revenue, which is the cash register, it is how many sales did you have during that particular quarter. You look at companies like Apple or Amazon, and you look at their sales numbers. They're just fantastic numbers. They're fabulously large numbers. Is that the more important number? It's really interesting because revenue is a difficult number to fudge. As the cash register rings, it is what it is, right? Earnings is a little bit different because you take that revenue and you do something with it. You spend that, and so your earnings per share can be fudged a little bit depending on what you do, extraordinary items, all that kind of stuff. But so we look at both numbers. We look at the revenue number, Derek, and we look at the earnings per share number. And right now, the numbers have been pretty good in terms of the companies that have reported the percentage of companies that have beat the estimates has been healthy. Yeah, the historical average over the last 20 years is 60% beat rate on earnings this quarter. It's tracking at about 67%. Revenue beats are about 53%, which is it was about average, really. Not too hot, not too cold. I would say that coming into this earnings reporting season, we were looking for a 4% decline 
in S&P 500 earnings on a year-over-year basis. We didn't believe that. We thought earnings would be flat to slightly up, and that seems to be how it's playing out. So the, all of these negative commentaries about an earnings recession seem to have been somewhat premature. The other thing that's kind of interesting is domestic companies actually are beating at a lower rate than international stocks, which is a little bit odd, Mark, when you consider how strong the dollar has been over the last six months or so. Now, that's certainly a cautionary tale, though, for the future, because dollar strength does ultimately put some pressure on overseas profits, and a great deal of the S&P's revenues are generated overseas, which may explain why revenues have come in a little lighter than people would have thought. You know, that's really interesting, too, because when you think about it, it's the market reaction to that beat, right? So the, the number of companies, the percentage of companies, international companies that have beat is higher, but the market didn't like it as much as in the U.S., the number of beats was less. What happened to those companies that beat was more positive than it was internationally. And I think that's why it's really dangerous to extrapolate short-term headlines. For example, you know, I've already mentioned the miss on the part of 3M, which is truly a global company. We saw a similar result from Intel on Friday, where basically, you know, they lowered guidance based on, you know, pricing pressures, margin pressures, and the like. Uh, So fundamentally, you just have to think about not just, you know, what the market was expecting, but what the guidance is. And my guess is the reason domestic-oriented companies are outperforming and why for example, small caps are up almost 50 basis points more this week than large caps, is that investors are starting to realize that the pressures on overseas companies that generate a lot of profits overseas are going to be under a little bit of pressure relative to more domestically oriented companies. We talked about a couple of specific companies. I want to bring up one more because big news on Friday out of Amazon and their stock really had a a bounce off of that. And it, it really is a game changer if it comes to fruition, which is one day delivery and, you know, you joked to me, uh, you know, earlier this week that it's going to get to the point where you're, they're delivering something to you before you even think that you want it. But Well, that's artif- artificial intelligence, at least in most people's cases. Yeah, so, you Gee, know. If only they had devices in our houses that were listening, that we're listening to what we're listening, right, and then about. you say, oh, you know, this thing just showed up. But, you know, th- there have been sectors that have done extremely well, right? Technology is doing pretty well. You look at the NASDAQ. And then there's other sectors that are kind of a little baffling. You look at healthcare, for instance. What's going on with healthcare? Is is it political at this point? I think the environment in the healthcare industry is is really kind of very muddy. You know, right now there's there's fears that uh, some of these uh, campaign promises will ultimately be legislated. But the way I look at it is, I focus on company profits, profitability, forward guidance, and the like. And until we see an election result in November of 2020, it's hard for me to imagine that we won't see some sort of relative improvement in terms of price performance from the healthcare sector because their fundamentals are fine. It's just a question of how aggressively you want to believe that there will be major policy changes come you know, the, the election and its aftermath. Well, and politics are just a natural part of investing. We don't invest our politics, but it is something to think about. And you start thinking about companies that may increase their capital expenditures right now because they don't know what's going to happen with the tax law down the line. So right now would be is kind of interesting to see what's happening with companies and their politics and the way that they digest them and how that's impacting investors. 1022 at WTMJ, now officially in WTMJ, Aaron's Storm Team coverage. We got a winter storm warning until 10 o'clock tonight for Milwaukee, Waukesha, Jefferson, Walworth, Racine, and Kenosha counties. Spreading the wealth every Saturday. Here's more Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. 
Know the difference? It's Team Tech Trust. This is a team segment. Deanne Phillips is here. She's Director of Client Learning and Development at Annex Wealth Management, CFP, a CDFA, Wealth Manager at Annex. Welcome back. Thanks for having me, Danny. All right, we're going to talk about passion assets. So there's stocks, bonds, annuities, and a bunch of other investment vehicles, but passion assets different. What are they, and what makes something a passion asset? Right, so what you were referring to before is titled property, like real estate investments, you know, even really cars. But Non-titled property, so we're talking about your furniture, the dishes, sporting equipment, musical instruments, collection of toys, even photos, even pets are considered passion assets. Because emotion is attached to them? Yeah, I think so. There are stories around those things. Okay. And they're also, they're things that do not pass by beneficiary designation. And so that's really kind of a key point here. Is the goal when we're talking about passion assets, the eventual distribution being a joyful exercise? Because <laughs> I think it's something that people can get in fights. For sure. So let me ask you this. Have you ever moved? Yeah. Uh-huh. So I don't know about you, but is anyone really like moving? I mean, it's all about your stuff. And I always hear as a planner when people are looking to right size in retirement, they'll say, oh, my gosh, I have to start with this basement because I've just been collecting all this stuff. And I have to sort it out between the stuff that I want to keep, the stuff that's junk, the stuff I can donate, and the stuff other people might want. And so if they're already categorizing stuff other people might want and the stuff they want to keep, other than just the utilitarian things that they need, they're really talking about that stuff that they're connected to. And usually there's a story there. The question comes in, do your kids or other people really want that stuff or do we think they'll want it? Okay. And this is something that you want to do while you're still alive? I definitely, we want to do this while we're still alive. I mean, I'm looking at my 15-year-old kid. You know, she, I, I have certain collections. She could care less about all those collections. And for the most part, I think there was a magazine article that came out a couple years ago, your kids don't want your old stuff, right? And that's very, very true. However, one of the exceptions could be where there's been a ritual that's been created around it. Like, for example, I know every Christmas, my daughter loves, because she's grown up with us, to sit with me and we put up the tree and we take out all the ornaments and there are stories behind certain ornaments. And that means a lot to her. So that's actually a passion asset with a multi-generational connection that she will want to continue. A lot of times we make the assumption that if something is really important to us, a thing, it'll be important to people who are important to us. That's not necessarily the case. I mean, the number one item that people, the next generations, really just don't want is books, If you think about the evolution of the hardback book and even textbooks now into electronic, you know, and people, even people who love the feel and the smell of books like me, right, will still use a Kindle because it's convenient. So what's fair? Like, so there's a big difference between somebody's 1965 Corvette Stingray and then a collection of thimbles from around the world. Is that where the troubles start? Well, somewhat, because there's a valuation on that 65 Chevy, right? And so this is why it's important that you understand what actually has a value of your passion assets and what has that emotional value, because they're very different. So kind of as a rule of thumb, if it's something that you would do a writer on an insurance for, 
then there's some value and there's been some research done on that, right? And probably there might be somebody out there who wants it, whether you're going to sell it or whether they're going to inherit it. A little different with a thimble collection, right? There might be one or two that are pretty cool, but for the most part, that's a hobby on an asset that was just cool for you as a hunter and gatherer to find. Let's talk about the sad case where somebody has passed and you have to go through somebody's house. What is the best method to divide those passion assets? I mean, I've heard of even people going through, it's almost like a draft where people kind of go through and put stickers on things. Yeah, stickers. Uh, the thing about that is, though, like, you know, you can itemize things in a will and say who gets what. The sticker method is not official. So the executor of the estate can go through and discount it if they want. I mean, I, you'd hope that you pick an executor who follows your wishes, but you have to be really careful on all that stuff. Oh, tell me the Civil War story. I love that one. Okay, so um, in going through my parents' stuff, I found family letters from the Civil War, and I have my grandpa's on both sides uniforms from World War One. This is really cool stuff. So this is definitely a passion asset, something I would want to keep. There also is, besides sentimental value, there could be some sort of sellable value on that. But more importantly, I was thinking, you know, um, who could en- get enjoyment out of this? Would the Civil War Museum want this? That way, it's not just me keeping it, you know, in a dust-free environment to pull out if you come to my house to see it. But it, this way, it's sharing it. And everybody has that kind of stuff if they've kept stuff through the years that could kind of go to the public for a greater good. So that's a way to donate and maybe share a passion asset as well. So you got a workshop coming up where people can learn a lot more about passion assets. Let's talk about that. So, Danny, we're going to talk about passion assets and provide some suggestions and solutions to, for example, I have three different patterns of China I inherited. Not only will my kid not want it, I don't want all that. So what do you do with this stuff, especially in a day when Goodwill won't take everything that you've got? So we're going to talk about solutions. This is happening at Water 2 Wine in Brookfield. We're actually going to do a wine tasting, and then we're going to vote on our favorite, and then we're going to make a batch of wine. This is happening on Thursday, May the 9th, from 6 to 9 p.m. at Water to Wine on Blue Mound Road. However, you have to sign up in advance. They're always free. They're always bring a friend. We need to know the name of that friend, too, because this one fills up, and we want to get you registered. As always, details on everything we're doing at Annex Wealth Management at AnnexWealth.com. Just click on that Events tab, and you're up to date. Deanne Phillips, our Director of Client Learning and Development, Annex Wealth Management, joining us. Thank you. Watch your investments grow with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference. It's Team Tech Trust. Mandy Noshinsky is a CFP and a tax planner. She heads our tax team at Annex Wealth Management. Mark, you've known her for a couple of years. How do you think she made it through? Well, you know, it's always tough the first quarter of the year. You get a lot of tax preparation, and Mandy was part of our tax services that we do for our clients, which is tax preparation. But now we're on to the more important piece of this, which is planning for your taxes, because there's a big difference between getting your taxes done and lowering your taxes through effective tax planning. So now we get past April 15th. People have, as Danny said, signed their returns, gotten their checks, done whatever they're going to do with that refund. What I really want to get into now is you just don't go, 
The season's mm-hmm. over with, right? And I'm done with my taxes, and I'll deal with it again next St. Patrick's Day. I mean, th- that's really not what we want to do. We want to think about this, Mandy, in terms of tax planning, not only for 2019, but you start to, through the financial planning department here at Annex Wealth Management, start looking at tax liabilities in increments of three years and five years mm-hmm. and seven years and 10 years, especially in retirement and the sequencing of distributions from qualified and non-qualified plans. There's a lot of planning that can be done that's advantageous, that lowers your lifetime tax rate, and that's the important part. It really is. And what we're looking at right now, me specifically, is now through 2025. Right now, the tax laws we have are in fact for those years. And for a lot of people, they are lower rates. So what are we doing now? One of the things we're talking about a lot is should you be saving more to a Roth 401k? You know, just where you're saving money, you might be saving at a better rate. You don't have to pull it out in retirement at a higher tax rate if it was to a traditional account. And I think that's key for a lot of people is you look at your marginal tax rate. What do you pay on the next dollar of income? And you start to think about it in terms of what's the tax rate now, which is historically low, versus what will the tax rate be when I retire, when I start to take this money out? Am I better off paying the taxes now at a historically marginally low tax rate and then getting tax deferral, or do I get tax deferral now and pay the taxes later? Right, and that's the million-dollar question is what will that tax rate be in retirement? And honestly, nobody knows. We speculate, and that's what we do in planning is we work with what we know, and what we know is come 2026 and future years, we're going to go back to old law. So as part of the planning, I think, has to be diversification of the tax law. So you look at the known and you look at the unknown. You look and say, how much should I be putting into a 401k or a 403b or 457 plan on a tax-deferred basis right now where I'm not paying any income taxes, not knowing what that tax rate might be in the future? So many plans now have that Roth option, but mm-hmm. it's it's just it's easy for people to say, I put money in my 401k as opposed to I put money in my Roth 401k. What's your feeling on advocating between splitting between those two? Oh, I think, you know, we talk about investment diversification. I think the same thing is true for tax diversification. I think you should have a little bit in a Roth 401k and a little bit in the traditional 401k. That's a good way to kind of put your tax eggs in different baskets. Those are the two accounts we talk about through your employer. And the third one is a taxable investment account. That is a great savings vehicle if you're going to retire maybe before 59 and a half and need to get access to some money. Manny Nowashinsky is a CFP and she is the tax planner at Annex Wealth Management. She heads up our tax team at Annex Wealth Management, where we think that tax planning is a year-round endeavor. Well, for sure. And, and, you know, Manny, when we start thinking about all of the things that have changed now, you mentioned earlier on the, the standard deduction versus the itemized deduction. And for a lot of people that have itemized in the past, you know, you started thinking about a simpler return, simply going and taking the standard deduction. For a married couple, that's a pretty decent size amount of money now. It is. For 2019, we're up to 24400 for a married couple. So included in that is going to be your property taxes, mm-hmm. your state and local taxes, mortgage interest, and charitable contributions. Mainly, those are the four big ones. Mainly, yes. Yeah. Some people, medical expenses, if some people have higher, but it takes a lot of medical expenses is for that. Is that 10% of AGI now? It is. It's 10% of AGI, meaning that your medical expenses have to exceed 10% of your income. And then you only deduct the amount over that. Right. So yeah. for most people, it's the big four. When people start thinking about tax planning for 2019 and 2020, again, looking in multi-year glasses and saying, what, what are we going to do with taxes over the next couple of years? Charitable contributions, property taxes, those are things you can manage because you can pay them in different calendar years and kind of bunch up those expenses. Right. When you talk about property taxes, you just got to be sure you look at what we call that SALT limitation, their state and local taxes. When they change the tax law, they also put a cap on the amount of property taxes and what you pay the state of Wisconsin in income taxes. Can 
can only deduct 10000 of that. For a lot of people, if they might have a higher real estate tax bill. So you might get close to that 10000 relatively quick. So that strategy doesn't work when it comes to property taxes and state taxes, but it still can work in charitable contributions, for instance. Oh, without a doubt. That's one of the things we look at for a lot of clients here is how much do you want to give to charity and which manner do you give? You know, one of the things we look at is called bunching. You know, that'd be if you give 5000 to your church every year, maybe you get 5000 for 2019, but then come December, you actually give your 2020 contribution in December of 2019. So that way you get $10,000 as a deduction in this year. And the same thing's true of RMDs, for instance, if you mm-hmm. want to give your RMD to a charity. Or you have things like donor advised funds where you can give even more money to a donor advised fund in 2019 and then spread those contributions out over a number of years. Right. So with an RMD, that's, um, you have to be 70 and a half. You know, a lot of people have beneficiary RMDs, right, right. but you still have to be 70 and a half to donate some of that to a charity. And that's what we call an above the line deduction. So that way you get that benefit without even itemizing. So Mandy, think about the takeaway for people that are listening today. You, you just don't let your guard down right now because if you encountered some problems this year doing your taxes, doing nothing right now means you're likely to have those same problems next spring. So right now would be the time to get with a tax planner, somebody from our planning department that can help think about sequencing distributions, especially if you're getting into retirement right now, making sure that the distribution strategy is sound to minimize your tax. There's nothing wrong with that. Tax evasion is one issue. Tax avoidance (laughs) is a completely different issue and it's okay to do that. It is. And especially as you're getting close to retirement, making sure you've got your withholding on the right income sources. It's Team Tech Trust at Annex Wealth Management and Mandy Nowashinsky heads up our tax team at Annex Wealth Management. Mandy, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. 1041 at WTMJ. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. Get you up to speed. Got a uh, WTMJ Aaron's Storm Team coverage. Winter storm warning in effect till 10 o'clock for Saturday uh, today. For Milwaukee, Waukesha, Jefferson, Walworth, Racine, and Kenosha counties, the advisory is for Ozaki, Washington, and Dodge counties. It's sweeping into the area slowly. I'd say from the Dells into Madison to Lake Geneva. Uh, it is snow and it'll get uh, it'll get to us eventually. Keep an ear on WTMJ for the updates this afternoon. Time is money. Make the most of yours with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference? It's Team Tech Trusted Annex Wealth Management. And here we got a team segment. Randy Winkler, CFP and Manager of Financial Planning at Annex Wealth Management. Randy, welcome back. Thanks. Glad to be here. A recent article caught my eye. Title was The Biggest Money Mistakes by Decade. And I thought that was interesting. It's about the decisions that we make or don't make each decade of our life. Right. It's a really interesting subject because there are different phases that you go through and there's different things that you should be doing and things that you shouldn't be doing. Let's run through them. Now, you've seen the results of good and bad planning as you look at portfolios as part of your team. Let's see if we can find some ways to avoid them. In fact, let's flip it around on the positive and talk about how to properly handle these phases. And the first event I think is very interesting. It's childhood. And this is really more for the parents. And this is missing opportunities to educate the kids. Right. It's very interesting in that uh, money is the last taboo, they're calling it. You talk about everything else. You won't talk about money. And that's really doing a disservice to kids because how are they going to learn? They're going to learn as they grow up through painful misadventure. You know, if they don't learn the dangers of credit cards or the power of saving or the power that budgeting can give, you probably are going to find it out in your 30s or 40s because of making painful mistakes that you have to dig out of a hole. But what about even when they're little kids and, and kind of making wise choices with their allowances even? Right. That's interesting. And I think people think that kids can't handle it. I can tell personal experiences. My niece and nephew, they were three and five. 
one sitting on either knee, and I was going through a book that was was called a financial fairy tale, a story of the three little pigs. You know, it was a spending pig, saving pig, and sharing pig, and the big bad wolf was a, a bad real estate developer. And it had questions in there where it's about, is this a want or is this a need? And they were just fascinated and influenced, and my sister just happened to walk in the room and say, since we got the new couch, we really need new drapes. And my niece, who was five, said, do we need new drapes or do you want new drapes? And my sister got this look on her face. I've never thought of it that way. So if a five-year-old can pick it up, an adult can, but if you can start at that age, it's developing the skills and the interest to move forward with that. Let's move into the 20s. One of them is when you get a job, you get involved with that 401k. Yes. And it's funny, I hate to keep bringing it up, but I just had this conversation with my niece. She's got a new job. I asked her, what's your company match? She said, it's 5%. I said, and you're contributing five? She said, no, I'm contributing two. I said, well, you know what we call that at, at Annex? We call it a voluntary pay cut. So I very strongly encouraged her, she's now 20, 24, to use all of the skills that I tried to ingrain in her growing up and say, you got to get to 5% to get the free money. The tough part for people is it's deferred gratification. When you're 20 or 30 years old, you're not thinking about when you're 59 and a half and get access to that money through your 401k. But it's like a snowball rolling downhill. The bigger you can get it going when you're younger. And just a little trick for people is when you get a raise, you get a 3% raise, up your 401k by 1%. It's very simple. And over time, you'll be surprised at how you go from your 5 to 6 to 7. Pretty soon, you're at 20% by the time you're you know, a little bit older. Talking about addressing money mistakes we make by decades. So now into the 30s, misplaced spending. And that's like just buying toys, I guess, going on big vacations. What we see here is that there's a big difference between living in the present or living in the future. You have to find a good combination of both. We've seen people that have just deferred gratification. They've saved and saved, and they died at a young age and never got to enjoy it. The flip side is the typical American stereotype, spend it all now, and then there's nothing in the future. So finding a good mix where you've got to have some discretionary fun money, but don't go over the top. You have to find a good mix there between what's for now and what's for retirement. Briefly, do you have a formula for renting versus buying a house? Uh, that's um, also one that comes up every once in a while. Uh, what we've seen where people make a mistake is going by the old way of thinking that renting is bad and buying is good. If you're moving to a new area, we've seen it where people go in and they just buy a house. And then they find, well, this isn't the neighborhood I want to be in. This isn't the community I want to be in. In those cases, often it makes sense to come in, rent for a while, get to know the area, find the community that you want to live in before you put down the permanent roots. And if you're somebody who moves a lot, renting can make a lot of sense. Now we're into the 40s, and the biggest threat is not saving enough and investing enough. Right. In the 40s, you've kind of settled into your career. You're approaching your peak earning years. You're not quite there yet. You should be building up a pretty good nest egg and thinking about what you want your future to look like. You're not thinking about retirement, but you're planning for it. And you have to take a look at your time frame, where a lot of people get caught up as they think of their money as being all in one bucket. Really, you have to divide it up by your time frame and your goal for it. So if you're taking a big vacation this summer, that money should not be in the market. You need it to be very liquid. It's probably in the bank. But the money that you want in your 40s for retirement, which is 20, 30 years down the road, you don't want that in the bank. You want that working for you and taking the appropriate amount of risk for your goal. I don't want to say be aggressive in investments because that's probably not the right term, but probably you have a longer view and you could probably be less conservative. Right. You want to pick the appropriate risk to take. Like my example before, if you need the money for vacation, it would be inappropriate to take a lot of risk because you can't have the volatility. You need it in the short term. For something long term, you can ride it out. If there's some fluctuations in the market that go down by 5 or 10%, even for a year or two, 
you're not going to use that money for 20 or 30 years, it doesn't really make a big difference. In fact, it can be an advantage if you're buying into that down market. Okay, now into the 50s, and this is the zone where we really think people need a plan. Correct. This is where you bring everything together, you take a look at it, and you start defining when do I want to retire. And then the most difficult number for most people is what am I going to spend in retirement? What is the expense that the portfolio and the income sources have to support? That's something that we, we work with people and we take a look at it and we give them a, a percentage. Like you have an 85% chance of success based on your inputs or you've got a 45% chance of success. It's all based around getting the data in there and you still have time to make the adjustments if you need to. Now we're to our 60s and again, a big mistake, not having a plan. Correct. We've seen it where people come in. I'm like, hey, I'm retiring in three months. I've decided I want to come in and talk to you people. That's great, you know, because there's so many things that you have to look at when you get to that point where you're looking for your retirement paycheck as opposed to your job paycheck. What order are you going to distribute the assets from which account? You know, when do you start Social Security? Do you need bridge health care? You know, there's some, some very creative things you can do with tax planning and Roth conversions and stuff that we geek out on here all the time. But it can be kind of complicated when people that work their whole life and have been diligent savers and get there and they're like, now what? I'm going from accumulation to distribution. What do I do? Same thing then when somebody gets in their 70s and it says can't outrun inflation and debt. Correct. So what a lot of people think is like in the old thinking was, okay, the older you get, the more conservative you get. You always have to think of buckets. For the money that you need in the short term, you're always going to keep it liquid. Whether you're 20 or you know 20 and saving for a new car or a new house or you're 70 and taking money out to support your lifestyle, but you're still going to have a lot of life ahead of you and you've got to keep growing to stay ahead of inflation. Randy Winkler, how does he know all this? Well, he's a CFP and He's a manager, financial planning at Annex Wealth Management. When we talk about the free portfolio analysis, that's your team. Correct. We take a look at uh, whatever you hold right now, and we tell you, how is it working? Is it working well? Is it not working well? Are the fees too high? What is it doing for you? Randy, thanks for joining us. Thanks. We have branches everywhere. Elm Grove, Mequon, Lake Country, Appleton, downtown, inside the Fister, and then Annex everywhere. If you can hear WTMJ, we can use simple screen share technology and uh, work with you just that easily. AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Get professional help with your portfolio. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. And we're back. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, April 27th. Good show today. Uh, covered GDP, covered a bunch of earnings. Uh, we've got a bunch more coming in next week. Uh, Deanne Phillips talking about passion assets. She's part of the team here at Annex Wealth Management. Mandy talking about year-round tax planning. My eyes glaze a little bit, but that's what the team is for. When yeah. I don't know it. I know somebody that does. Well, absolutely. And you can bring in an expert like that, whether it's, you know, part of our state planning team or our financial planning team, bringing those people into the conversation. Dave and I talk about it a lot on the show. And, and certainly we have yet to find somebody in our 60 years of combined experience in this industry of finding somebody who can do all those things. So, you know, if you're out there and you're listening this morning and you're thinking about looking at a financial plan or taking the next steps towards retirement, do it with somebody who's number one, a fiduciary, and number two, has the resources internally to coordinate all those things together. It was a good week for us again, Derek, and we're looking forward now into next week. And we got a big earnings week coming up with some real heavy hitters that are going to report, and it certainly will impact what stocks do next week. That's for sure. I mean, next week, 150 companies in the S&P 500 are going to report, uh, most notably Pfizer. Again, I mentioned healthcare earlier in the show. Let's see what the fundamentals are like there. 
Uh, we're going to hear from Apple and Google, so we'll get a greater sense of what's going on in the tech sector. McDonald's, a good consumer name, gives some indication of how healthy the consumer is. But basically, the way I look at earnings at this point in the cycle is, you know, we've had a real dichotomy, as I mentioned earlier, globally exposed companies. Some are missing, some are beating. Uh, there's been a real dichotomy in performance between two growth sectors, technology on the one hand to the upside and healthcare on the other hand to the downside. I noticed, Mark, on, on Friday, the RSI on the tech spider is at 80, which is a very, very high level, a level that often leads to sideways consolidations at best, whereas healthcare is almost on the flip side. So when I think about looking at a portfolio now, I would really look at the healthcare sector and try to find companies that you don't think will be too negatively impacted by a change in leadership, if there is even a change in leadership. And, you know, another thing, too, is with the entrance of uh, Biden into the presidential sweepstakes, I think he's going to lead a more moderate tone within healthcare. He's not going to sit there and say, Let's scuttle the Affordable Care Act. Let's eliminate private insurance. He's going to have a more moderate proposal, and that may take investors to think more realistically about what the real prospects are for what is really a dynamic growth engine for the U.S. economy. And think about that, Derek. When I start thinking about looking at health care, maybe rebalancing is a part of that equation right now because we've had the run-up in tech. You may have some overexposure to some of those tech names. We possibly could use a rebalance right now to maybe take some exposure from technology to health care. That's not a recommendation for everybody, but there certainly is an opportunity to think about rebalancing your portfolio, and it'd be a great way to start next week. Yep, and you can do that today. Go to AnnexWealth.com, click that Get Started button. That's it for Money Talk for today. It's 1059. News is next. Have a great week. We'll see you in a week. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.